time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is a Friday edition of the pod, so that means we have a very special guest, and we will be joined by a guest today. You immediately recognize his voice. He's actually the voice of uh, the Get Home Safe podcast intro. Uh, there with the intro music, you hear him every single episode uh, before I come on the air. My ugly mug here on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to be joined by none other than Chris Albaugh. Uh, also known Dr. Alba, the great, uh, the great optometrist out here in Southern California. Uh, he is a, a big time public address announcer. He is the voice of the Cal State Fullerton Titans uh, in, on the baseball field, as well as the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes in the uh, California League of Minor League Baseball. He's, he's worked for the Oakland Raiders. He's worked for uh, the Dodgers. He's worked for the Lake Elsinore Storm. He has uh, a, a great resume. He's a huge sports fan, and uh, I'm so happy that he's coming back on the pro- podcast because he was one of my earliest guests when I got this thing uh, going, got the ball rolling, if you will. Uh, so he was among the early innings of the podcast, uh, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing too much back then. I've learned a few things, uh, but uh, we've come a long way. It's been, man, over two years since Chris has come on the pod. I've tried to talk with him many times. Uh, we've tried to arrange it. He's very busy, especially during baseball season. He's usually at a ballpark somewhere, and he is the eye in the sky, you know, that, uh, that uh, great uh, view from the press box, and he does all the announcing, and uh, man, if, if you've gone to a, a local ball game and you've heard Chris's voice, uh, you know, it, it's special. It takes you back to some, uh, you know, uh, fun, fun memories and, and moments from Titan baseball. And of course, minor league baseball. And Chris has a ton of stories. Our initial podcast back two years ago was great, but I think we're going to take a deeper dive today. Maybe talk about college baseball, how things have changed, maybe how some things have changed in the, uh, in the public address uh, world, the broadcasting world. I'm curious of some of his thoughts on just some of the changes we're seeing in sports. Some of his, maybe his favorite broad, broadcasters. Just back a little bit more about Chris's story and uh, a great friendship he and I have. I can't wait to have him on the podcast. So uh, it's uh, going to be a fun one today. A lot of baseball, but a ton of other sports uh, to talk about as well. It is once again my privilege to uh, have back on the podcast the voice of the Get Home Safe podcast, Mr. Chris Alba. All right. As I said in the introduction, you will recognize this man's voice immediately because you hear it at the beginning of every single Get Home Safe podcast. We are joined by my good friend, Dr. Chris Alba. Chris, what's up, man? It's been like two years since we had you on the podcast. I know. I can't believe it. What's going on, Matt? Hersema. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no one says it like you, man. Most people butcher it. You always gave me a little extra juice when I was umpiring and you'd say my last name before the... Uh, before the uh, the game started back in the Cal League days. I believe it's been two years and we had a great discussion last time and uh, boy it's just unbelievable how COVID has just made everything fly. Yeah no kidding no kidding indeed we uh, you know there's a lot to talk about because you have a great perspective uh, in, in a lot of sports but you know mostly baseball and um, to talk about kind of the 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 different 
type of season, you know, you saw in 2021, because there was, there really was no minor league baseball season in 2020, right? Exactly. They, uh, we had very little of it uh, in 2020. Um, and then um, like a week or so they, they canceled it. Then 2021, they had a season and it was kind of an abridged season. It was like two thirds of the normal games. Um, and then unfortunately, some of the things that they did at the time where they had home stands that were just a week long with the same team. Um, you know, these are the things where COVID has led to some changes that might be permanent. Uh, you know, baseball uh, had been wanting to consolidate the minor leagues. That all went on since you and I last discussed. And a lot of teams that had good attendance lost their affiliations. Um, the Cal League is now low A. Teams like Fresno that were triple A for 20 years are now in the low A Cal League. And, um, you know, Major League Baseball has really changed minor league baseball permanently. And one of the things that happened with COVID was that was their opportunity to kind of force their way on some of these changes. And, and unfortunately, I think it's going to have a detrimental, detrimental effect in the long run. Um, you know, you and I love baseball, but minor league baseball is, is, is a great passion. And so is college baseball. And you feel a lot more connected with it than you do major league baseball. And um, they're really cutting into that. You know, they've had these programs like Lancaster had great attendance for years and they lost their, um, they lost their affiliation. They're not affiliated with anybody. Uh, you've got a Cal League that was at least high A for 60 years is now low A. And we can talk about the level of play, but, um, you know, and they've changed, uh, and we'll get to this, you and I wanted to talk about kind of the things they're doing with the clock. You know, they want to use minor league baseball as a way of experimenting with these changes, larger bases. We're not dealing with that. Other teams are. The extra inning rule where you start somebody at second. Um, unfortunately, Major League Baseball seems intent on taking minor league baseball and using it as a, uh, a camp, a tryout camp and an experimental camp instead of its own entity. And how base minor league baseball survived for a hundred years as being something a little different. And unfortunately, Major League Baseball doesn't recognize that. And I worry about the future of minor league baseball being a unique fan experience if things keep going the way they are. Yeah, there's a lot of great points there that that we'll unpack. And yeah, I think uh, anyone who's been affiliated with minor league baseball in some regard, umpiring or, uh, you know, working up in the, in the press box or the game staff or the players themselves, you know, uh, major league baseball has always kind of looked at minor league baseball, like this necessary evil, almost like this piece of gum on your shoe that like, ah, well, I'm not going to scrape it off yet. Um, and so it, 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 yeah, the past couple of years with the changes, um, yeah, you, you'll take us, uh, in, in a little deeper there, but I should mention, I, I kind of did before, but you know, Chris, a lot of people, they know your resume. They know you, you worked for the Lake Elsinore storm in minor league baseball. You're currently the ranch of Cucamonga quakes PA guy, and you've been with Cal state Fullerton baseball, uh, an awful long time. So you have seen a lot of pitches, my friend, a lot of been around a lot of baseball and, um, uh, man, you, you're a guy that I go to as someone who, you got, you have an unbiased opinion. I think, you know, I can, some people, even though you're, you're connected to these teams, I think you're someone that sits back at the eye in the sky and you can give impartial uh, judgments onto what's going on, not only on the field, but around everything as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you do this long enough. I mean, I remember the great quote by Vince Scully and Ken Burns's baseball documentary, where he talked about, you get older, 
your feelings change. You don't get quite as emotional. You still enjoy it, but your perspective changes somewhat. And that's why I was talking to you earlier uh, last week about how you kind of take a step back and you're seeing these changes in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. And you see it from a perspective of having been there and done that and, you know, what works and what doesn't, what makes it unique. Uh, you and I have done the things we've done, me as a PA announcer working in a press box, you as an umpire, because we have a passion, not just for sports, but these level of sports where you feel connected. And um, so I hate to see that change. And you and I kind of have a perspective being on the front lines that other people might not have. And, um, you know, I'm still a Cal State Fullerton rooter, number one. And, and, you know, you always cheer for the teams you work for. But at the same time, you also can have a perspective you might not have had when you were younger, when you were just all in. So. Well, yeah, there's moments I, I've seen it firsthand when, you know, a visiting team wins at a regional at Cal State Fullerton, for example. And that's a terrible feeling for the, for the Titan fans. But you do a good job of pushing aside your loyalties and, you know, making a nice announcement for congratulate. I hate saying, saying these words, but congratulations, Stanford on uh, winning, you know, the regional or whatever. So there's still a job to be done is my point. And you've always done a great job of that. You, you, you're pulling for the, again, as you mentioned the, your teams, but still uh, the job is supposed to be somewhat impartial. Now that doesn't mean you can't have some fun as well. And that's where you oh, yeah. really <laughs> excelled in the, in the minor league side of things too. You've really, you have, you can kind of do whatever you want up there, right? And that's kind of thing. That's another thing that's changed over the years. When I first started doing this, I would push the envelope a lot. When I first started doing the Raiders, for instance, it was just straightforward and dry. And the NFL really didn't want you doing too much uh, to get the fan base going, which I is kind of laughable when you think about it now. But when I introduced the players, I added a little flavor. When I, when I said, you know, first down or interception, I would put a little twist on it. And by the time my eight years were there were done, I'd really completely changed things. Now you listen to the announcers and they're almost like basketball announcers. When I used to do the Clippers for, I was their backup for a long time. Uh, I was the young energetic guy that was kind of doing the wild and woolly thing. And there were some other guys uh, that, you know, the Bull, Chicago Bulls guy was already famous, but I was always pushing the envelope, but there was always a line I didn't want to cross. Now I still feel like I'm, trying to be energetic and interesting and creative, but man, things have really gotten crazy, uh, especially basketball. And, uh, you know, at some point you, you just got to remember at the same time, you're trying to be professional. So um, you're trying to get the fans engaged and have fun with it, but you don't want it to seem kind of amateurish, uh, but things sure have changed. I mean, you know, boy, I tell you in football, you can pretty much do anything anymore. You, in fact, you never used to be able to put video clips up when the guys were sitting in the booth for the Raiders that uh, you couldn't say make noise fans, believe it or not. <laughs> really? When I left football, the NFL in 2005, that was still a rule. So things are, are really changing, which is ironic as we're going to talk about what Major League Baseball is doing. They almost seem to be trying to do the reverse. Um, you know, they want to get fans loud and rowdy, but they keep making changes to the game that <laughs> don't seem to go hand in hand with the ultimate fan experience. But um, that's why I encourage people get out there to these, minor league teams and college teams it's a different experience you you're a lot more engaged it's a lot more fun oh yeah you can relate more you know none of the, no one on the field's making 30 million dollars you know a year and and guys are trying hard and not to say major leaguers don't but it is a little different and um i gotta ask you because this thought just popped into my head i've turned into a really big uh fight fan over the past few years boxing and ufc i would say right now probably the most 
famous, I guess, or popular. I don't know how to phrase it. PA guy is Bruce Buffer with oh, the yeah. UFC, a ton of energy. Everyone knows him. And I mean, what do you make of his uh, theatrics? Well, you know, he and his brother, Michael, have been around for 30 years. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, they've kind of, Bruce has grown along with UFC. You know, they, they were kind of finding their way in that. And, uh, you know, you have to give credit to Vince McMahon. A lot of what they do is kind of taking a lot of what WWF, WWE now used to do and um, in a hokey way. But obviously it's a real thing. So they're incorporating that energy into a real sport. I think that's why people like you love it so much, because it's the real deal. There's, you know, professional boxing. You kind of wondered if the money got too big and these guys are really into it. But it really seems authentic when you watch it as a fan. And it's. You know, as you know, the peak of it, I don't know if it's reached this peak, but man, it seemed to just take over within a five-year period about 10 years ago or maybe more. And now the bars, that's, they get as more people for UFC <laughs> than they do football. Oh, um, yeah. Their pay-per-view events are successful. So there's a lot of energy out there. And when guys like Bruce Buffer are, are trying to be creative, I have a lot of respect for him because that's – I told you once one of my PA heroes was um, – a guy named Dave Zinkoff that did the 76ers in the 60s and 70s. He was way ahead of his time. And he would introduce Julius Irving by saying, you know, the doctor's in the house, Julius Irving, and all this unique way of doing it. And nobody else was doing that a long time ago. And those were kind of my heroes, the guys that would do it. Now, I think there are some guys that go way over the top. Like, I don't know if you watch the Houston Rockets basketball. It's almost insane what they're doing. But <laughs> <laughs> there are guys like Buffer, then more power to him. I mean, Michael Buffer gets, I think, $100,000 in appearance just to say, are you ready to rumble and walk off the field? So, <laughs> I know. you know, you got to hand it to him. He's created, hey. a, he's created a, a business around that. And who would have thought somebody could do that with just being an announcer, you know? Yeah, just saying a few words. And, and then, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Like, uh, when you think about that, and there is, yeah, the element of, of energy, because we all saw Chris games over the past few years, we saw stadiums in arenas with no fans. And I don't know if there were a PA guys or not. What can you tell me? Did you do games still during when there were empty stadiums when, and announcing? And were, were you kind of like, this is kind of weird. I'm not talking to anybody. Kelsey Fullerton had a few games like that. They had only uh, essential personnel and attendance. It was about most of the season last year or half of it anyway, before they started allowing fans in and without fans it was just you know and of course they weren't piping in sounds well, yeah, yeah. It was really awkward and I would just be reading flatly and I'm like well you could have anybody do this I mean I you know I was there because it was Titans and I wanted to be there but at the same time it took all the fun out of it for me because um you know you're there as an official you, know, you technically you're a game official but at the same time, if you're not trying to get the fans in, well, why am I here? So that yeah. was really awkward, and it really made you appreciate, you know, having live sports back. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. just crazy when you think about it. Canada is still limiting the number of fans going into stadiums at this late in the game. It's almost insane. But uh, thank God we really pushed the envelope here in America and got the vaccinations out and, you know, got the rules established so we can get back into it's a, it's an important part of everybody's lives. And it's the interaction, not just the, no, nobody wants to watch teens play without sound on. You remember when they yeah. had in the, in the early eighties, NBC tried an experiment. They had NFL games without announcers. And it was a, you know, even with just the sound of the fans, it was a, it was a failure. It's all part of that experience. The announcers, the crowd, 
the camera showing us what's going on. And boy, we really, really missed it that year and a half that they were really restricting it. It was so odd watching games with just silence in the, in the arena. And you're just like, what in the world? This is an NFL game. There's nobody there. It's just, oh, the, those days behind us. I hope never again. Uh, well, let me ask you, I mean, you're a Laker fan. When the Lakers won the championship in the bubble, that had to be almost feeling like they won the, the summer league rather than the title. <laughs> now people are like, gosh, we might not win another for a while. But that yeah. had to take some of the fun out of it as a fan, as a Laker fan. It has yeah, to. the a- AAU tournament. I mean, yeah. And then I'm watching this HBO stuff with the Lakers, the uh, 80s. And I'm just like, uh, it's just not the same, man. It's not the same at all. It's, you know, it, I guess it counts. But it's like they're anyway, that, that was just so odd. Now, I was incredibly grateful. I would rather take that over the no sports we saw for sure. many, many months. Oh. Uh, and then it was, you know, I think UFC that came back first with no fans. And then it just got going from there. Um, yeah, but Dana yeah, I just going, Dana was not going to be denied. <laughs> no, no, Dana, we talked to UFC already, but like he's, Dana's the best leader in sports, in my opinion, that guy gets it done. And uh, he loves the fans and he loves his, uh, his fighters as well. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Chris, I, I tell people all the time, I don't, I don't umpire anymore. I'm probably not going to go back. But the most fun I ever had, honestly, was working in a press box, especially during baseball. You and I have had some great times, and, and you really can't explain it to people who, who don't get to experience it. But whether a guy's running the scoreboard or the music, you're doing PA, guys are doing stats. I mean, we're all kind of a bunch of buddies just watching a game on our couch, but we also have some responsibilities as well, right? Yeah, and it's a lot of fun, and everybody has the same thought process in mind at least for the Quakes, not so much for the Titans anymore, unfortunately, but everybody wants to put on a great show. The guy that does the music next to us uh, for years, who now is on to the Milwaukee Brewers, he does scoreboard and various duties with them. Um, it's a passion, you know, it, it sounds a little silly. Wow, well, you're just playing music for minor league baseball. What's the big deal? But if you can get the crowd into it and get a flow for the game, I mean, that's important. And just ask, uh, you know, um, WWF and those kind of guys are you know, WWE now and even USC it's all part of getting the crowd going and and that influences the game uh, you know you're making jokes in the booth having a good time with each other but it's you're working a job and you want the product to be rewarding and and I love the Cal League and so did you because it you know you've got that more direct interaction with the fans and uh, in the press box it's a lot of fun Titans is a different story I love the Titans uh, you're really into the hardcore baseball end, not so much a marketing product, you know, where you're trying to get the fans too into it, but it's a different experience, but it's still fun to be part of it. You feel like you're mm-hmm. part of something and, and uh, you know, not just on the outside looking in. So that's what I love about it. And I know that's why you love about umpiring too. You're part of it. You're involved in it. You're not exactly, exactly. It, it takes many different, there's many different pieces on the chessboard, you know, that it all just kind of bring it all together and, uh, yeah, just being, it's weird. It's this addiction, especially with baseball. You, you, you want to be a part of the game some, in some way, shape or form. And it's not easy doing 140 games or, or 70 home games for you, but then another 30, you know, games with Cal state Fullerton. I mean, by, by the month of September, your voice has got to be just worn out. <laughs> well, in May and April and May, when they overlap, I basically don't have a weekend or even a lot of weeks off for month or two at a time but that's okay like tomorrow for instance i have a day game for the quakes they have what's called education days twice a year where kids come in it's the 11 o'clock game and then i got the titans at six and i look forward to it i take the day off work and it, you know i still love it i mean you, yeah you have no business being there if you don't because um 
you're not going to be entertaining to the fans, but it, you know, it, it, it's a responsible job. There are a lot of people give their right arm to do it, but, uh, but it is a passion. That's for sure. And that's why I hate to see major league baseball trying to make changes to minor league baseball that tries to influence that they're looking at from their perspective and, and they shouldn't, they should look at it from the perspective of a minor league guy and look at it at that ground level. You know, they're looking well, yeah. for jet flying over saying, Oh, this is what we want. And that's not what minor league baseball is. No, no, it's, and it's, I mean, just look at the cities, for instance, they're completely different uh, markets and everything. The only thing major league baseball should care about is, is if their prospect got, got his four at bats that night. And if he didn't get hurt, he didn't throw, he threw 70 pitches or whatever. Like you shouldn't worry about everything else that's going on because most of the players are going to be in and out of the system. It's the fans that are going to be in this stadium, in these cities, in these leagues for a lifetime. COVID's caused a lot of changes. One of the casualties was host families that used to host players. Oh, uh, I knew a guy that hosted uh, one year. He had Mike Trout and, uh, oh, Donna, I forgot the pitcher they had. When Trout came up, that was really good, too, that's now gone. Um, he had them both at the same time. And, and these families, you know, you get a lifetime uh, connection with these players, and, and, mm-hmm. and it helps them out. Now that's gone. Now they get the players' hotels and all that, so there's less interaction. And the players feel less interaction with the team too, and the fans if they're not interacting in any way. And that's what I worry about. Uh, they're not helping us out when it comes to the giveaways and other things like they used to. They still do somewhat, but they're getting more and more distance, which is what we liked about minor league baseball as opposed to major league baseball. The players weren't so distant yet. So yeah. they're turning these players into people that we don't get to know as well and that and that's really disappointing because that's what sets college ball and minor league ball apart so covid's created a lot of casualties and that's one of them yeah no no kidding uh it's been a wild uh, few years some adjustments and also some just uh i guess this is uh, the new world order and uh, i don't know i'm kind of like don't mess don't mess with my sports i like i like patterns i don't like i don't deal with change as well and uh i mean we're seeing some of this this is something I just really don't like, especially as a former umpire who would have to enforce this stuff. But the whole concept of a, of a pitch clock and a game clock for baseball, I, I just, they're, they're trying so hard. I don't think it works. W- what are your thoughts on pitch clocks in minor league baseball and college baseball? Well, once minor, major league baseball realigned minor league baseball, they started instituting these changes at each different level to see how they work. And the pitch clock and the runner at second base and extra innings were the two rule changes they experimented with in the Cal League, the key league that the Quakes are in. And the clock got, it, it's almost a little silly. You watch it, and I joked with you before we went on air about how it's like that when we were kids at some point in high school, everybody played a goofy game of golf where you ran up, hit the ball, and ran, 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 and see how quickly you could play the game. And it was sort of silly. It was all about <laughs> how quickly you could play and not the game. And, you know, these batters are standing in the box before the guy hits a home run. He's coming around. The guy's standing in the box ready to go. He has to get out of the box for the player to come across. So we can't get the sound effects across. I can't say the promo I'm supposed to do. Uh, the guy guy grounds out. Next guy comes up. Sometimes you you almost miss a play because it's, it's you know, when a home team strikes out, next guy's in the box in five seconds. The players are getting used to it, the new young players, and the games are finishing quick but it's influencing the flavor of the game. It's just going so fast. And if the obsession is clock first and it's like, okay, wait a minute. What about, you know, is this, is this batter going to get the most out of his at bat? And, uh, and, and the other thing that goes on too, is at the minor league level, you don't have as much uh, 
in between innings time for the mascots to interact with the crowd and the kids love the mascots and that's going away. They're barely able to do anything. And so it's, it's changing the fan experience. So to me, a rule change when it's so obvious that it dominates your attention is a problem. And that's the problem with the clock is it's, you're, you're thinking about moving along instead of the game itself and, and the competition between the two teams and the players. Yeah, I just, you know, I, we all want faster games, but when it kind of, it becomes an obstacle and a distraction, as you mentioned, I just think uh, it, it's, uh, it's paving the way for uh, probably more, more problems. I didn't realize, I was just looking at the Cal League, as you mentioned, uh, Fresno, I didn't realize they were in the Cal League now. And uh, let's see, Lancaster, are they no more? Lancaster lost their affiliation, even though they were one of the most successfully attended teams. It had wow. to do with uh, convenience to the major league teams. And so Fresno, which has been a triple A team for 40 years, became a low A team. The Cal League, which was high A for 40 years, is now low A. And then the first thing that happened was the Dodgers reassured the Quakes, hey, don't worry, our best players will start at low A first. Well, guess what? No, they don't. The best (laughs) players like Walker Bueller and Cody Bellinger and others, they went right to the Rancho Cucamonga first, they didn't go to Great Lakes, Michigan, which was low A, and then they move them up from there. And the Dodgers two top draft pick last year did never went to Rancho. So now the fans are really getting a totally different experience because they're not always going to see the future Dodger players, which is what you're marketing. Well, that was the biggest so, part of, of the Cal League was having those, those affiliates so close to the Dodgers, the Angels, the Padres, the Giants, so that they could come and rehab more. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. Not only that, but you got to see the best players. I mean, all the Dodgers that were homegrown, the Bellingers, the well, even he's gone now, Jock Peterson, the Julio Ariases, all of them went through Rancho. Well, yeah. a lot of them didn't go to the low A Great Lakes. Well, now we're low A, so they're skipping some of them over. And so the fans don't get that. And, you know, hey, the Houston Astros that won the World Series, all those guys came up through Lancaster. Uh, they were the Astros affiliate at the time, and we saw all of them. And not to mention the Angels and the future Padre stars all came up through the Cal League, and now we're not seeing all of them. So that changes things. The the addition, the having the runner at second base, that's kind of a different story. Some people like that, some people don't. Um, there's there's reasons to do that in the minor leagues. So you don't burn out arms in that 15 inning game. But uh, and the games were getting really long prior to the game clock. But there are ways of adjusting the time of game, keeping the batter in the box like an umpire can do without necessarily having you know, charging a ball to a pitcher because he didn't throw it uh, 20 seconds, you know, one of the to take an extra second. All you're thinking about is game clock, almost like a shot clock in basketball. And that's, I don't like yeah. that, you know, so some, you know, time of game is nice, but if that's all you're talking about and thinking about and, and you notice it's affecting your appreciation of the game, that's a problem. So major league baseball loves it. They pointed out that what the Cal league has been doing with these, two-hour and 18-minute games, wow, this is fantastic. But they don't stop and ask, but are the games good? Yeah. And like them. No, that's a, that's a really good point. And, uh, yeah, I can just picture it all because I worked, I worked in Great Lakes. I worked in the Midwest League. I worked in the Cal League. And just to see everything kind of flip-flop is really, really weird. And uh, so let me get this to – there's still eight teams in the Cal League. Yeah. So is there no north-south now? Because I, Visalia and Fresno, they're not in the south, are they out? 
Is there a two divisions or no? Yeah, there's still two divisions. And so oh down the south, it's uh, Elsinore, us, Inland Empire. And uh, I forget who the fourth one is. Um, and then, you know, you've got um, San Jose and you still have um, Modesto, which is the A's. And you Stockton. still have, uh, you know, now you've got, uh, like I said, Fresno, and I can't think of the fourth is, but it's pretty small. And the other frustrating thing, the other COVID effect was this. Major League Baseball said to limit travel during COVID, you're going to have seven-game homestands against the same team. Bad and idea. they kept it this year because <laughs> they decided idea. they liked it to reduce travel expense. So now every homestand the Quakes have is seven-game with the Inland Empire 66ers, the Angels affiliate. Then seven games with the Lake Elsinore Storm, the Padre affiliate. You're seeing starting pitchers twice in a homestand for the other team and your team. And it's so different than what we're used to. And it really, the, you're seeing the attendance really drop early in the week and people just coming in the weekends because they're seeing the same teams over and over and over. And, you know, Inland Empire, their fans come and see us. But if you're like Elsinore, are you going to drive up to see us during the week or are you going to wait till the weekend? Well, mm -hmm. you're going to wait till the weekend. So, it's affecting attendance somewhat too. So you're seeing changes that are really changing the way the league works. And I really worry about where minor league baseball is going. If you mess with it too much, it's not going to be a unique product. People will think of it like a, like a summer basketball league. And you know, the NBA <laughs> summer pro league does not draw well in some areas. And so you're taking the unique fund of minor league baseball and you're changing it into a cheap a major league experience. And how, how successful is that going to be for a fan? Not well, really. well, and, and I got to say, as a former umpire, seven games in a row with the same two teams is not, not a good idea. <laughs> it's getting ugly, too, with the umpires. You can see because personalities get chafed. They just don't can't. get away from each other. No, no, absolutely. It's, it, there's only four crews when there's eight teams. means there's only eight umpires. And to have the same two guys for a week, I mean, that already happened already in the scheduling conflict sometimes. But when it's the same two teams... I mean that if to, to put it in perspective, two umpires. So yeah. seven game series. Yeah. Some poor guy's got four plate jobs, you know, <laughs> with the same two teams. It's not, and the other guy has three. So, and as, you, and as you know, you make a call, a team doesn't like, if you only have a three or four game homestand, it's off everybody's memory in four days. But if yeah. you're there the whole week and that happened on Monday, they're still chafing <laughs> about it with you on Saturday. Yeah. And you're seeing a lot more barking between the umpires and, and coaches than we used to. And I think that's a big part of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just connect the dots and you can uh, see, see where, where it all leads. Uh, Chris, uh, now, how does one, because I'm sure there, there's probably someone out there listening who'd be like, I, I would like to do that. Or maybe they're doing it. They're doing PA work for their local high school or little league or something. Um, how did you get your start? And, and where did this interest come from did you want to be a broadcaster on the radio or how did you uh, end up behind the microphone announcing uh, you know who, who's coming up to bat well when I was in high school like a lot of people I thought I'd like to be a broadcaster and I was in a high school in Michigan for a couple of years we actually had a radio station I did play by play for a while but then when I got to college I got a little nervous talking to people who were in their 40s and 50s still waiting on their break and um, I wasn't comfortable with that financially you know my family never had a lot of money and I, I wanted a little more security than that and so I kind of turned away from that but then when I was working in an ophthalmology practice I'm an optometrist as I do for a living and I was working with an ophthalmologist and the Lake House Storm came to town new team and they had open auditions for their PA announcer 
and I auditioned and somebody else got it initially, but that didn't work out. And within a week or two, I got the job. And ever since then, I just kept plugging away and sending out tapes back in the day. Those were tapes. We didn't have <laughs> didn't have computers yet. Sorry, I'm that old. Yeah, you're gonna have to explain uh, what a tape is. Yeah, so you know, audition <laughs> tapes, and uh, and then eventually I got lucky. One day the Clippers were desperate for announcer. Their guy was sick. Ironically, I was home with 103 flu. Didn't tell them. I still went to the game, <laughs> and then, boom, there you've got an audition tape with you doing a Clipper game. And then you'd send that into the, the Angels, and some guy from the Angels says, "Oh, we need a backup. Come on an audition." And then I got to start to doing Angel games as a backup. And then uh, the guy that did the Clippers, I was his backup. His name is Dennis Packer, and he uh, got me to be the Raiders backup, and I did a game. And then when he left the Raiders, I was able to to get the Raider job. And so for anybody who wants to do that, I say the key is go do whatever job it is. I did a lot of crazy things. I did pro beach hockey at the beach in ESPN. I did ladies league baseball. Um, I've done high school and, you know, you just go do anything. And even if it's little league, you get good at it, you get comfortable with it. And then you just keep making tapes. Unfortunately, that's another thing that's changed. It used to be people who had achieved a certain level would always be invited when a team needed a PA announcer. And that's kind of become a gimmick thing now. The Padres had an open audition for a guy for a hire and they hired, they had 3000 auditions. And of course they cross market it with one of these online job places and who knows how they really make the decision. And I talked to somebody the other day and said some other team had 6,000 auditions, oh. major league team. So unfortunately it's become a kind of a gimmick now. And uh, I enjoy doing the lower levels anyway. I was, I was had the privilege of doing the Raiders for eight years. I was the Clippers backup for about eight years. I was their main guy for about a year. I was the Angels backup for four or five years. And I've done the Dodgers. I was their backup for about four years. But these teams, they turn over all the time. They turn over front office people. And the guy who hired you, who liked you, he's gone. He brings in his friend and you're gone. So <laughs> the nice thing about doing the level of the Quakes and Cal State Fullerton is it's nice to be part of something for 10, 15 years and not be always looking over your shoulder all the time. So if for anybody who's out there and you're thinking, hey, I'd like to do something like go out there and do your little league, go do your high school. Uh, there are college volleyball teams that need somebody. And eventually you just get to know the right people and you'll get opportunities. Yeah, it's, it's I think, opportunities, but it's reps. It's reps, getting getting at bats, right? Hey, every time you get in the box, that's a that's a repetition. And you, no matter what level you're doing something, hey, that's a that's an opportunity to uh, get better yourself. And maybe someone will take notice. Uh, man, that, that is uh, awesome stuff. So how does that work? Did like when, with the, you know, the Raiders, you were the backup, I knew eventually the full-time guy, but the Clippers and the Dodgers, did they, when would they call you to be like, Hey, our guy is out today. Or would it be a last minute thing that you had to race somewhere? Well, sometimes it was last minute. Um, you know, the Clippers, the very first time they called me out of the blue. And then after that, they would just let me know. But the gentleman I was backing up had, he was doing the Raiders and the Clippers. So he knew there'd be some conflicts. And so you had some anticipation for some events. The Dodger, Michael Carlucci was the Dodger announcer for a long time. And he was great. And he lost his job because they turned over the front office. And even though he did a good job, he was gone. So it happens to the best of them. Yeah. He had, he did video games uh, back when they were first coming out. Um, um, EA Sports and the others hired him to do narration on video games. So sometimes he'd miss for that reason. So you get to get in there and, you know, and every once in a while they might get sick, 
So it's kind of last minute sometimes, but usually it was kind of ahead of time because the PA announcer themselves, they don't like to leave the door open too much for somebody else. So yeah, they don't tend to miss job. unless they have to. So, but you know, and sometimes you get lucky. One time I did a Dodger game on a Wednesday and then there was a day off and then he missed the first game of the next series, which was on a Friday. So I got to do two games in three days and both of them went 14 innings. <laughs> so Nancy B. Heffley, the organist joked that I had, uh, that I was, uh, I was a jinx. And I said, no, I'm just trying to get my money's worth. That's right. More free baseball. Let's, let's go. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, did, was there, what was the first moment for you when you worked a, uh, a big, maybe it was that Clipper game or maybe the Raiders. W- was there ever a moment or was there a couple of moments even when you're kind of like, you're, you're just talking in the microphone, but you paused and kind of looked around like, Oh my goodness. I'm at, I'm at, uh, I, I'm at, uh, Raiders, the Oakland Col- Coliseum. Oh my goodness. I'm at, I'm at the sports arena. This is Dodger stadium. Like, d- does it hit you right away? Or do you kind of block it out and say, okay, I got to go to work now. The one time I felt that way, or the first time was doing the Dodgers. I'd done the angels a couple times and that was a thrill, obviously. And I'd done the Clippers already. And that was a thrill, obviously, but doing Dodger stadium, even not as a Dodger fan, it, that's a, whole different ball of wax you know that'd be like you're doing yankee stadium or you're announcing at lambeau field the field itself you know has that uh prestige to it so doing a dodger game i remember every minute i was so thrilled and you know it didn't hurt the experience that i walked into the press box the way it used to be right behind where i was was a little meal room for staff and i went in to eat and there was vin scully and Ross Porter, and like, hey, son, have a seat. And you're sitting there having a hot dog with Vince Scully. So that, that certainly contributed to the experience. But you're doing Dodger Stadium. And even though you're not doing what I did with the Raiders, you're not trying to pump people up. You're just doing that traditional Dodger, you know, Mike Piazza. But the fans react. And I remember doing um, Raul Mondesi. You couldn't even get the word Mondesi out of your mouth. You go, Raul, and people would just say that so loud with you you couldn't even hear yourself. And it was just, you know, these are the Dodgers. And I got to do it at a time when it was Piazza and Brett Butler and Eric Karos and all those guys. And, and uh, you know, the five rookies of the year were all on the team at the time. And it was Tommy Lasorda. That was the biggest thrill for me. Doing the Raiders was great. And, you know, AFC championship games. And I, I really left my mark there. They had interviews with the players that talked about how I would say Tyrone Wheatley would get them pumped up. And I really thought I left a mark there and I'm proud of what I did there. But the, the hair in the neck experience was definitely Dodger Stadium. Wow. Yeah, I got a little goosebumps myself. I mean, that's what I grew up on those early 90s, you know, as a little kid looking up to, to those guys. And I remember going to Dodger Stadium the first time and I can't imagine being in that Vin Scully press box. Uh, it just had to be a real thrill. I remember I got to work a game at at uh, Angel Stadium uh, for a, a, a college baseball game sometime and I'm behind the plate and I'm wiping I'm wiping off home plate and and I just remember that feeling uh every time I'd see Angel an Angel Stadium game on TV I'd see the the big league umpire wiping the plate off I was like hey I did that I did that before right there where so many great moments have happened so uh you've had just countless memories what are some other memories from your your uh public address uh days uh, and just any level really well, you know, as far as, you know, the moments, uh, great. There have been some great moments. Uh, we talked about this before where Brett Favre in his Monday night football game. Oh, yeah. Raiders when his father had died that week and he still played and he had the, one of the most amazing games of his life. You could feel the moment at the time. 
there are moments like that. You knew that was a game that you were going to say, I was there. And to be the guy saying, you know, Brett Favre to whoever touchdown, and you hear yourself on a tape 20 years later, it's pretty exciting. But some of the ones that you remember are the ones that are a little bit different. Like one time I was doing an angel game and the sound went out for four innings. So in the eighth inning, they wanted me to do an eighth inning stretch and catch up on a bunch of announcements. And so it's sometimes it's things like that that you remember as much as anything else. And of course, doing the AFC championship game the first time where the Raiders lost to the Ravens, uh, the Ravens were third and long on their one yard line early in the game. And you thought the Raiders were going to put a stamp on this game and they had a 90 yard yard touchdown pass to Shannon Sharp. And you just remember that moment in your heart sinks. <laughs> and, and then there's the other great moments when they won the AFC championship. And I said, the Raiders nation is going to the Super Bowl. And then Jim Nance says the same thing five seconds later, you know, copying what I said. And, you know, you got moments like that, but there are some funny moments too. You and I talked earlier about some of the worst moments with Cal State Fullerton coming back against Washington a few years ago in a super regional. I got a home run to take the lead tonight. I thought this might be the greatest Titan win ever. And they lose, they let them tie it in the ninth and lose it in the tenth. And it went from the best ever to the worst ever. So some of the moments you remember aren't always pleasurable. <laughs> I, I <laughs> think you were the, there the, and you were part of it. And that's yeah. the thrill of it. No, I think it's easier to remember the painful memories, unfortunately, some of the worst losses, you know, uh, in Titan baseball, uh, losing to those Stanford guys and, you know, Arizona State and uh, UCLA, all those rivalry games. And just like, yeah, as a sports fan, I, uh, I've had my heart ripped out more times than I'm than I'm happy, but I keep coming back. Who, who are some of your uh, teams that you followed over the years growing up and and even now uh, baseball or otherwise? Well, it changed a bit. You know, I lived around the country when I was a kid. Uh, when I was really young, I lived in Philadelphia and was a Phillies fan in their glory days in the late 70s, mid-70s. But then I kind of got into Reggie Jackson because my brother did when he was with the A's. And then when he went to the Yankees, I kind of became a Yankee fan. But we kept moving around, ended up in L.A. in the late 70s and kind of followed the Angels, too. And um, But when I was a kid, the teams that broke my heart were the Philadelphia 76ers lost the NBA title like two or three times before they won it. And then um, the Phillies kept losing then to the Dodgers and the NLCS all the time until they finally won it. But I was a Vikings fan. And that was, you know, you're never a fan like you are when you're, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. And when the Vikings lost all those Super Bowls, it crushed me. But I look back, my cousin was a Rams fan, even though he lived on a farm in Illinois. And the Vikings kept beating the Rams in the 70s in the NFC title game. So he, <laughs> he, he still gripes about that. So, um, you know, when you're a fan at that age, there's nothing like it because the highs and lows are, are so high and so low. And that's what's great as an adult to be part of these games because I find it hard to get too emotionally involved in pro sports anymore, especially mm -hmm. if I'm not working for a team you do get a different perspective, but it, when you're part of it and you're there and you get to be on the mic or you get to be on the field, like you were, uh, it's still that, that thrill is still there. And that's why we do it. You know? Yeah. It keeps you, it keeps your juices flowing. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's only so many uh, Netflix shows and documentaries you can watch. Right. I've always said, I've always said sports is the ultimate, um, it's the ultimate show because it's unscripted. You don't know what's going to happen. It's competition. Um, it could go any direction. And I think that's why guys like me love sports so much is there's no, there's no script. There's no director saying, Hey, here's how it's supposed to go. Sometimes you see stuff that is just truly unbelievable. You know? 
And, and, and it's being there. I mean, I still love mm. the game. Um, yeah, you may have seen Kirk Gibson's home run on TV like everybody did, but if you happen to be one of the lucky people who were there, oh. you know, I was there when the Angels beat the Twins. I was there that whole playoff series. They beat the Yankees and the Twins in 02. There's nothing like being there. And then, unfortunately, I couldn't get tickets for the World Series. All the rich people stepped up and bought them. <laughs> and uh, watching on TV, it's just not the same thing. And when you get to be in the booth and participating or on the field as you were, it's even more exciting, even if you're not. Some of the teams, I'm kind of the show. You know, the Quakes yeah. people know me. They know my style. That's part of the event. Same thing with the Raiders. I got to be kind of a known entity. But some of the teams, nobody knows who I am, but that's okay. That's part of the fun isn't my getting attention. It's just being a part of it. And sometimes you get to influence the, the fan experience. But with the Dodgers, it was just being there and being the guy that was doing the usual Dodger voice. Nobody knew who I was, but boy, was that exciting. Not everybody gets to be Lawrence Tanner like of the – Lakers, where he actually becomes an icon like Bob Shepard of uh, the Yankees, who I still don't understand why they thought he was so great. Lawrence Tanner was fantastic, but oh, you, know, you don't, you don't always do it for that. If that happens, great. But it's, I mean, listen to how you and I just love talking about this in the moments mm-hmm. we have done in our careers. Well, no, and, and it's just so cool. Like we said, we had some crossover. I, I uh, started. I, I needed a, an internship in, in college and I, I, or, I worked for the Orange County Flyers, the Fullerton Flyers, and that you were the PA. <laughs> that was fun. And it was nobody there. There was like 10 people in the stands, but we had a blast and I got to run a scoreboard and like help out with other things. And you put a good uh, word in for me for the Cal State Fullerton season and my senior year. And so I got to help in the press box with, you know, Mike Greenlee and Brad Hull. And I just fell in love with the whole being around uh, press box guys and we had a fun time and uh, I do miss it and then when you got to be the rancho guy uh, the PA guy you know I, I actually was umpiring in that league at the time so you know we're, we're kind of working together but not really and you were announcing my name all you know it, with all this energy which was great but Mark, my my favorite memory Chris is I think early on I was working a game at rancho and I had a play at the plate and, uh, you know, whack the guy out. And then it was actually for the quakes at the time. So, uh, you put a little mustard on your announcement and, uh, it was a fun memory for both of us. Yep. I said, meet at the dish, which I'll be honest. I got from Van Earl Wright, who used to do headline sports 30 years ago, uh, yeah. but it's a great line. And that's one of the things where I push the envelope at the quakes. If a guy gets a double, I'll say John Smith with a double or something exciting. And nobody really does that. And I just keep doing it. The, the original Quakes P announcer, David Acord, did it. And I just keep doing it. You know, a guy gets a triple and, you know, I'll say he's safe or something like that. And of course, that's John Miller. But you can add to the fun and, and be part of it. And that I, I miss you being there because you and I used to do stuff like that all the time where you were professional. You were being an umpire. But that didn't mean we couldn't have a little fun together. Like yeah, uh, yeah. when you would make a signal that here comes the pitcher and I'd yeah. signal back and. And you mentioned some names, Mike Greenley, Brad Hull. You get to be doing it at the level. You make lifelong friends with these people, and, and it's good stuff. And there's nothing better. Hey, the doing the Dodgers is great, but there was nothing more fun than the Flyers. I did the video board, the PA announcing. I was running the entertainment of the people running on, giving gift certificates. And I was uh, doing the uh, scoreboard, you know, balls and strikes. I was doing it all except the official scorekeeping. It was exhausting, but there was nothing more fun because – we were it you however you wanted the game entertainment to be it was so much fun and that talk about a a great fan experience 500 600 people there sometimes 3,000 others but Gary Carter was a manager and Gary Templeton Jr 
and Phil Nevin. I mean, and you know, to have and and of course we got to see uh, Ricky um, Henderson. Henderson and um, Conseco. Jose Conseco was there. So those are great memories. I mean, there's some times when you think, oh, I did ladies league baseball at Blair Field, and you know, you're like, oh, what was I doing that for? Uh, but you know, you never know what's going to happen. But that's how you work into it. I mean, but some of those things you just look back on it. It's like those are your dues that you pay. That, that's right. <laughs> it's, but it's been exciting, and you know, who knows? It might have been something. And now you got women who are playing in minor league baseball. So. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And and you know what? We had just a good time. I just I. Just little things like Cal State Fuller. We do like a potluck on Sundays where everyone would bring something. Or when me, you, and Mike went up to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and you know we played wiffle ball in the parking lot for an hour after the game. I mean, we just and on the just, field. Yeah, <laughs> we just had a good time, man. And, and just uh, oh man, I look back and um, best of times, best of times indeed. Uh, and you mentioned fans, the Flyers. Oh, yeah. If you remember, used to have a movie every Friday, a family That's baseball right. movie. And the, they would go on the field with their sleeping bags and watch the movie. I mean, that's the stuff. I love that, being a part of that. And that's going away. Well, the Quakes used to do that. They're doing less of it now because of COVID, obviously. So I worry about some of that stuff that makes it a unique experience, fan experience, going away. Yeah. No, absolutely. And you mentioned uh, John Miller re- uh, recently uh, in a few stories ago. And I want to ask you about some of your favorite uh, broadcasters, you know, from the past and even present. And I, I think there has been some changes, but that was something you wanted to do was be a, a, a broadcaster. So who are some of the guys you you've really admired over the years and maybe some of the, the newer guys that you kind of like their style? Yeah. And you know, that's easy because when I was a kid, those memories are accentuated by those great announcers, none greater than Kurt Gowdy, you know, who can see the, the uh, sea of hams, Raiders, Dolphins, uh, 74 <laughs> playoff catch without hearing Kirk Gowdy, looking, looking, every great moment of the 60s and 70s, he was there. As a baseball fan, you're probably maybe too young, but uh, there was Joe Grajol and Tony Kubek that were the baseball star announcers, and you would hear those games, and they made those moments come alive. Of course, Vince Scully, um, you know, but I also loved Harry Carey. He was fun, and he he was kind of what I'm about. So I can like a, a Harry Carey, and I can like a Vince Scully. And it's different. It's just like liking an impressionist painter and then Jackson Pollock who splashes on the wall. Two different things, but they're both great in their own way. Um, and, you know, I, when I was a kid, there was uh, Sean McDonough was great. Um, there was a lot of great announcers. And, and I think people get spoiled now with um, the plan I still buy, the Major League Baseball Extra Innings, because I get to hear the great ones now, Kuiper and Kruko for San Francisco. Boston used to have a couple of great guys. Now Don, uh, forget his last name, is in San Francisco, San Diego now. Um, but then there was Jerry Remy, who's since passed on. And of course, the Cubs had great announcers. And I like the Yankees with Michael Kay, and he's got David Cohn with him. And if you're a baseball fan and love announcers, it's a great time. There's a lot of good ones around. Who I don't like or I'm really tired of is I am Joe burned out on Joe Buck. And that whole Joe Buck style, I'm so tired of it. And, you know, Joe Davis with the Dodgers is okay, but, and I think he's trying to be a little more energetic at times, but I think everybody wants to be a Joe Buck wannabe because they go through broadcast school and they think this is the guy, but oh my God, if everybody sounds like him, turn it off. I want to hear somebody that's got some style and some fun. And of course, you know who I love in New York, 
uh, Michael or John Sterling, the radio Ster announcer, with the Yankees <laughs> win and you know, the Yankees uh, you know, the, the home run calls with uh, uh, you know it's a judgy and blast. I mean, sometimes a little corny, but you need some of that. Yeah, Everybody, a little. It's an A bomb for a rod, right? That yeah, exactly. I, I just can't. That's more my style. And you know, Vince Scully is fantastic, but he had a unique ability to be professional but interesting. And a lot of guys that try and be Vince Scully, like Rick Monday, to me don't <laughs> cut it. And I, you know, I'm never going to be a play-by-play -play guy, so I don't have to worry about offending anybody. But there's some there's some great announcers in the past that, in a way, nobody loves being in their late 50s. But I wouldn't trade. Dick Stockton was fantastic with Tommy oh. Heights doing NBA in the 80s. Look at uh, the guy who just retired, um, Doc um, Everett, uh, who did hockey. NBC, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, how man. do you not associate with those people? That's why I wanted to do that. They were part of the event. <laughs> Definitely. And, and, you know, back to John Miller, I've just... I, I used to love Sunday night baseball and I'd have it on and I'd be in the other room and I just, I, I wanted as like a, a, an alert message on my phone. I just hear fastball, you know, from John Miller and just something so simple, but the way he said it, I was like, I love that sound. And, you know, he's a giants guy, but Hey, you can, you can love the enemy. Uh, and, and just, I respect talent wherever it's at. So he's one of my favorites. So I wish he was back. He's on awesome and he's a great influence because he can, like you said, his inflection can do it without yelling. So many guys, all they can do to reflect excitement is to yell. And he can say, he's safe, you know, the way he does it. And he's not yelling necessarily. And he gets the point across. He adds a little spice without necessarily yelling. And over the years, I think I've become a little mellower, but tried to add a little more inflection to make it interesting without screaming. Um, but yeah, there's so many good announcers out there, but unfortunately, sometimes you get burned out of hearing the same ones over and over. I know, I know. Well, now that Joe Bucks uh, with the Monday Night Football, I'm sure they'll have, uh, well, Joe Davis is going to do uh, Fox and stuff. So they're kind of similar. You know who I used to really like? And he was on the call for the last Cal State Fullerton uh, National Championship in 2004. Personally, I really liked uh, Mike Patrick. I thought he had a certain, is oh, it Mike yeah, Patrick? Absolutely. Yeah, that, he, had a, he had an energy about him. I liked him, and he used to do ESPN football. He was great. And another one, one of my all-time favorites, uh, surprised I forgot him, was Joe Buck's father, Jack Buck, who was fantastic, who's two of the greatest calls ever. One was Ozzie Smith, uh, Cardinals win on a home run by the Wizard. And yeah. uh, who forgets that? And the one play with the two greatest calls of all time, one by Vince Scully and one by Joe Buck, the Kirk Gibson home run. Vince Scully with the uh, – you know, the famous call of his own, but Jack Buck with the, I can't believe what I just saw that they were ranked by the way, the two greatest calls in baseball history. And they were on the same play. One on really? Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. The same play by two different broadcasters. That's awesome. Yeah. And in course, a year that Chick has been, <laughs> there, there's millions of them, but you know, Chick Hearn and all those guys, oh. who could be a Laker fan without being loving Chick Hearn? Oh, you got that right. No, no doubt about it, man. Oh, I just, oh, I, uh, I, I love sometimes the sounds of the game is just, and, and with baseball more than any other sport, you can kind of just have it in your ear while you're doing kind of chores or something. I think it's a great like background sound. Uh, the other sports kind of require more attention, but there's just something different about baseball. Maybe that is just because I always say this baseball is just different than everything else. What, what do you think? I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's what the, the, heads of the game don't understand not every sport can be football or basketball 
Um, there's rhythms to baseball. And, you know, the example I give is when they first did interleague play, I hated the idea and I still hate it because it takes away the specialness of the World Series. And I remember at the time, some young guys uh, that I played softball with, they said, I think it's great. But these guys only watched one or two baseball games a year. Ten years later, I asked them, how many baseball games are they watching? One or two games a year. So as Whitey Herzog said, they gave away a hundred years of tradition for a group of player fans who are really not probably going to be regular fans. It's just how much can you change the game to appeal to people without making the game not what it was? You know, the clock for one. You can rush the game, but there are certain rhythms to baseball that don't exist in football and basketball. Part of it is the, the pitcher taking a second or the foul ball and you take a brief moment. And, you know, moments of that punctuated by great excitement. I understand they're worried about the, your future, but if you're not football, can you really try and manipulate to try and be like football? And you just, at some point, all you're going to do is come up with a mess. And I think that's where baseball is kind of headed right now. The other thing that I think is fascinating to talk about is nobody can argue with the, the analytics and the results as far as season producing, but no question it's made the game a lot less watchable. Nobody puts the ball in play. Sitting around waiting for a three-run home run is really boring. Nobody goes for complete games. You don't track wins anymore. Who didn't love it when we were kids? Hey, if Ryan gets one more inning, he can get the win. If he gets another inning, he can get the shutout. And we paid attention to those numbers. So what do you do if you're baseball? Analytics works, but it's changing the game in very detrimental ways. And now they're talking about changing the fundamental rules of baseball, like large bases, to incentivize stealing. Now you're running in circles, you know. And well, that looks a little better. I think uh, Annie Kinsella just turned the lights on. Chris, yeah, you're getting a little dark there. Hey, th- hey, we, we started playing when it was uh, daylight out, and and the the lights came on. It was time for exactly. us to go home, I guess. <laughs> Like the good old days. I didn't mean to. Like uh, Wrigley Field. It took me a while to get around to it. <laughs> no worries, man. Um, you know, I, I try to explain this, you know, to to friends who, you know, they're they're kind of baseball fans, but I'm like, now baseball fans, you mentioned some people will say baseball is hard to watch on TV. And I agree, it's it's much better being there that you mentioned it. But there's also an appreciation that baseball's there every day for you. You know, when you come home from work, you know, the Dodgers more than likely are playing when you cut, you know, you, 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 what are we doing this weekend? Oh, the, the Cubs are, are definitely playing, you know, so baseball's there for you. Unfortunately, your teams might lose, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like baseball's a marathon and it's there every day for you for the most part from, well, for in your case, February through the end of uh, October. And that's what makes it different than football. You can't have a sport that plays 162 games for two, six months that's on five, six days a week, your team, and try and make it as exciting as a game that's played three hours once a week. It can't, it's not comparable. You can't make it like that. It's impossible. To, it's just the players, it's, the game's not designed to be like that. And if you keep messing with more playoff teams and, um, you know, interleague play, and now they're changing it for it's not balanced. Any, it's going to be balanced now. So you don't play more games against your division opponent. So now you're going to play the same teams the equal number of times as you guys in your division. So you don't even have a bias towards the division anymore. 
which yeah. means you could win the division and not beat anybody in your division. So it, they keep messing with the game to the point where it's like, leave my game alone. You can't make it like football. And I think it's an interesting time for fans, the analytics, the COVID, baseball trying to change Major League Baseball to save money. Well, is that what minor league baseball is about? How many people are not going to get to see minor league baseball in the next decade, the next generation? Because major league baseball downsized the minor leagues. They forced franchises to close. There's going to be a lot of people who don't have access to a major league park who now can't go to a minor league park because there's no minor league team anymore. Do you think you're going to make that person a fan? Baseball can't compete with football on television. So if you don't get them that interaction with the game at the stadium, they're not going to be big fans. You got the wrong people in charge of baseball, and I really think they're going to pay the price in about a decade. Wow, that is uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, I, I taken us a deep dive there. I agree with you. I mean, for those of you that don't watch minor league baseball, you don't go to game. First of all, it's fun. I mean, the ticket prices are cheaper, and yeah, you, if you don't stay all game, fine, whatever. But you'll be home sooner, not less traffic. For the people that don't understand that, that to be around baseball that's affordable and to not have that, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. So if you're in some small town, you obviously can't go to uh, Petco Park in San Diego. But if you don't have any option, you don't have that that team in uh, in uh, I don't know Visalia or whatever. Like, yeah, you, you'll you'll just lose interest in baseball altogether. Yeah, Pacific Northwest, the Carolinas, those those towns don't have the ability to draw the nearest baseball field is either Washington, D.C., which is several hundred miles north, or in Florida. So I just think baseball is a game where you fall in love with it. I don't think you fall in love with it on TV. I didn't. (laughs) I fell in love with it because my dad took me to the vet when I was a kid and got me a hot dog and the free helmet you got on helmet day and the glove. And And the vet was not a great experience, but that's where the love comes from. And, um, you know, I think football knows itself better. And I just think that the people who are trying to market football, baseball as if it were football, you've got to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think hockey stumbles with that sometimes too, but I think they kind of have found their way to some extent. I just don't want them to take the romance out of the game for those of us who appreciate that. I just don't think you can reinvent the wheel um, without turning it into something that's not really baseball anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just think the money is tough. I'm hey, I'm a pro player. Make as much money as you want. But boy, uh, these players in all sports making so much now, it's hard to really relate to them. So <laughs> minor league baseball is still that connection with these guys. Oh, yeah. And and I what do you make of this, Chris? Like I guess said, you're an all around sports guy. You just mentioned hockey. Um, why is it do you think that hockey is not, I guess, more popular? It's not it's not watched as much. The hockey fans I do know, they are diehards. They're some of the biggest fans uh, out there. But why do you think hockey is definitely, you know, fourth place at le- or further down the totem pole as far as ranking of the big sports? Well, you got to go. It's not a TV sport. And even if you go, if you never played the game, that's a problem. If you grew up in a cold weather area and played the game like I did, uh, there's a passion there that you're not going to get. But Hey, they've had successful franchises in Sun Cities lately. Vegas is <laughs> kicking booty. And they've had, uh, you know, good success with the Kings, obviously, for 50 years. So even the areas where it's not sunny do okay, but you got to get them in the seat. It is a yeah. different, unique experience with an air where you can see the puck 
and see things off camera that you wouldn't see. It's different. And the energy of the fans, I was watching a playoff game before you and I got on the air here. It's just nothing like it. The fans go crazy. And uh, it's great stuff. And uh, that's why I love it. And I, I worry that some of the sports are changing. One thing I did want to talk about is the changing landscape of college baseball. When I started yeah. with Cal State Fullerton in 1996, yes, there were some big programs that have been there forever. Texas, Miami, um, and uh, LSU. Some of them have disappeared, Wichita State. But boy, the last 10, 15 years, the Power Five programs are making so much money. Schools are dumping money into sports that never used to be funded, like baseball. Washington State, you know, dumping money into their baseball program because they got it from television. And you're seeing a divide between the haves and have-nots that I think is really harmful to um, to college baseball. Can Cal State Fullerton compete again? I don't know. If your son can go to Texas A&M and have these beautiful facilities and be on their own Texas A&M television network every night, how are you compete with the Cal State Fullerton? How did they compete 30 years ago? There were a lot of guys that got overlooked in the draft. There were hard, dirt scratchers, you know, hard-nosed players and with a grudge. Well, there's few of those now. The players are different than they used to be. Talk to coaches. Players are not the same. They can't get yelled at. They can't motivate them like they used to. So that's harder to find those kind of players. And boy, if how can Fullerton recruit? I just don't know if it's, the, it's ever going to be the same. I mean, yeah, Augie Garrido was a genius and an all-time great. I think Horton, for all great as he was, is still underappreciated. And But it's been a downhill slide slowly, even since Dave Serrano took over in like 2009. If you look, we're slowly but surely, less appearances in the College World Series. You know, and then we played Washington four years ago, and ever since then, it's just been the bottoms dropped out. And I'm just not sure it can ever be the same again. No, and it's... so for Titan fans, I hate to say that, but I'm just, I mean, look at UCLA. I mean, what Savage has been able to do well with that program, they got, they don't dump as much money in that program as they should, but John Savage is an underappreciated star coach. And if he left, that program is going to be gone. USC has never recovered. Yeah. And they're a power five school. So I don't know. I'm really concerned because once you stop being the little engine that could go to Cal State Fullerton's, they always get it done. Well, that's been a generation ago, and I worry that because of that, you know, can you really get it done when you're not that program that could get it done anymore? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy to think about because yeah, back in the day, you know, they 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 were the the team that you know had one set of uniforms and and didn't even have uh, locker rooms, and you know they they went up against the USC's and and all the the Arizonas, the ASU's, the Stanford's, and but now it seems like there's a lot of other teams out there that are, are kind of have that, that uh, fighting spirit. Hey, why not us? What, what UC Irvine has done, what UC Santa Barbara has done to me, they have really elevated their game and, and, and just, you know, from the resume, the past 10 years, I think Fullerton has definitely dropped off quite a bit. And uh, the, the, some of the schools they've, they've not waited around to find out. And we saw in the lockout, Chris, there was a lot of, of, um, with the work stuff, which with major league baseball, there was a lot of people who started tuning into college baseball. Uh, it's on TV and ESPN plus and everywhere now. And, uh, and I see a lot of games out here still, but there's still 10,000 people in those seats in the sec. And there's, you know, maybe a thousand at some of these other schools here. Yeah. I mean, if our attendance is definitely not what it used to be now, we're not the program we used to be, but there's still some programs that succeed in spite of that. 
Santa Barbara is a perfect example. I apologize, I can't remember the coach's name, but he's done a fantastic job. And all of a sudden, they're the they're the star of the they're the star of the conference. But the conference overall ain't what it used to be. And oh. <laughs> uh, I just wonder, can small conferences compete anymore? I mean, college football has a problem. Let's be honest: LSU, Alabama, Clemson, and maybe Ohio State. Every year, at some point, does that not get old? And yeah. for college baseball, people follow their team. Nobody goes, oh, well, Titans are out, so I'll watch LSU now. So if you don't have now, Coastal Carolina won a few years ago, and they're a small program, but if they don't have those little guys getting in there, I don't know. College baseball is in real trouble. And, you know, the, the metal bats are a problem for some people. And um, they love it in those areas like LSU where there's no pro team within five-hour drive. But <laughs> out here, that's a different story. No, it, it has changed uh, drastically. Guys transfer and such now. It, you've been around a long time. And uh, I mean, Chris, it's been since 2006 where Cal State Fullerton hasn't won a game in Omaha, let alone, you know, they've got there plenty of times. But yeah, it's very different. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I agree with you. I do think things are kind of going in a different direction right now. And uh, baseball's changing and baseball evolves, I guess. I, I don't like the people that are like, we got to bring in more younger people. It's like, Younger people are either going to like it or they're not. Don't try to, like you mentioned, too much change too fast is bad. You can't screw with the game, with your game, the game that we both love. 100%. And that's true of selling cars. You can't design a car saying, I want to appeal to this group of people. You got to make a good car and the people will come to it. Um, and, you know, do you think football makes little modifications to itself, but it's, it's so appealing to fans. They don't have to do much, but baseball, you get, you got to be careful. You get to the point where you change the game so much, and then you've lost, you've alienated so many different groups. It's like, well, who's the core fan? I mean, you know, you just can't, it's like a politician that keeps changing their message all the time. At some point, nobody believes in them. <laughs> that never happens. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, and that's, that's what's going to happen in baseball. I mean, you've got to quit thinking that you're going to be football. You're not, the game just can't be that way in this modern society. It's not, it's not a rural based country anymore. It's, but you can only do so much. And I'm really disappointed the way they're adding more and more and more playoff teams. It's getting to be with them right now. The regular season doesn't mean much. And that has definitely not helped college basketball. And now they're going to do the same thing to call. Uh, and that's why college baseball is still great because the regular season really does mean something. So um, major league baseball, you get to the point where you can just coast in and have not much incentive to win your division. That was a problem they thought they'd fix. Now they're creating their own problem again. It's just always chasing more money. And at some point it just gets frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no doubt about it. Um, well, Chris, I definitely want to have you back on uh, probably around playoff time. Maybe when, uh, however many teams get in the, what is it? 20 teams now getting in the playoffs. Now <laughs> we'll have you on. It's to kind like of hockey. Talk to me in the semifinals, you know, yeah. <laughs> when we get down to the, uh, the final four, the two, the two pennant, uh, pennant series for I'll sure. Tell you one thing right now, if you're a Dodger fan, oh my goodness, I've heard a couple of really reputable reporters say this might be the most powerful baseball team we've seen in our lifetimes. And, they are so well built. Really appreciate this team because in this day and age, to put together a lineup like this, pitching and most of it is homegrown. It's not just all free agents. This team is really, you know, I'm a kind of a Yankee guy and the and Angels too. But boy, what the Dodgers have done with a likable group. Angels are really likable too. They're a pleasant surprise. But 
I think the Angels and Dodgers, folks, tune in. They're two good watches right now. I really want to see a Dodgers Angels World Series sometime in my life and a Dodgers Yankees World Series sometime in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if it was Dodgers Angels, that would be awesome just to be uh, the uh, ultimately ultimate freeway World Series. That would be a pleasant so cool. surprise. Taylor Ward has been really good. Jared Walsh, Brandon Marsh, as well as Otani. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised. Go, go see some Angel games. They're, they're fun to watch. And, uh, and boy, I appreciate the Dodgers right now. They are a powerhouse. Yeah. And, and guys, if you get out to a Rancho Cucamonga Quakes game, don't interrupt him while he's talking, but go on up to the press Come box, and give him a wave, give him a say, I heard you on the Get Home Safe podcast, uh, uh, Mr. Alba. I guarantee you he will uh, shake your hand and say hello. You give me a Get Home Safe podcast uh, uh, props. I'm going to see if I pull out a Rancho Cucamonga Quakes softy ball from somewhere, a little <laughs> souvenir for you. All the swag you have. Come on. You got all kinds of shirts and stuff. And <laughs> I'm you, not giving up my your, swag. <laughs> you got your real Hondo prep hat somewhere, right? Your RHP Thanks lid. Don Carson, sweet stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Gordon from back in the day, Gordon Mark, as we know him, you know, good Congratulations times. to him and to Todd on his uh, opportunities. If they're watching, miss seeing you guys and good luck to you both. Oh yeah. They're doing great things in the, in the coaching ranks and uh, they're big fans of you, Chris. They're very big fans of uh, the one and only Chris Alba. <laughs> anyway, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Hey, you're the man. You give me the, uh, the big intro music here. Well, I may have another podcast coming up for real Hondo prep football in the fall where I may need to use your voice again. So I'll be in touch, my friend. All right. Get on safe. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I need <laughs> get home safe. Chris, it's been fun, man. Thanks so much. Right. See you, man. Well, always a pleasure to chat with my good friend, Dr. Chris Albaugh for the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes and Cal State Fullerton Baseball. It's been a long time since we have uh, chatted and I honestly could talk baseball and sports and broadcasting, just life really with Chris for, for hours. So I want to have him back on sooner rather than later. Uh, th- although you guys get to hear him uh, every, every episode here as he is the uh, narrator for the, uh, for the intro song of every single podcast we have. And we will have him uh, do another intro for us when I do the Real Hondo Prep football podcast this upcoming fall. So Chris and I will be in touch and I'm going to have him back on to talk uh, baseball playoffs and other things, I think really, really soon. So one of my favorite guys in all of uh, sports and all of my travels and uh, connections, just uh, always fun time hanging out with uh, Chris Alba. So thanks again, Chris. Uh, Let's do it again very, very soon. Guys, that will wrap up today's episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to Tune in next week on Tuesday and Friday, of course, as you know the schedule by now. Tuesday, just me rambling away and giving my opinions on sports and current events and things. And then Friday, much like you heard today, a guest, a long-form conversation with a friend just talking about uh, anything really, maybe their journey and just their opinions on some of the things going on in the world of sports. So baseball season is uh, rolling right along. We've got the college baseball playoffs right around the corner, and uh, then it's on to the dog days of summer, right. And enjoying summer and getting out to some ball games and eating hot dogs. And uh, it's nice to have those options to, available to us here. So I'm very excited for uh, the summer coming up and I'm, I'm ready to go watch some more baseball and chat more baseball after talking with Chris. So guys uh, get out to some ball games, uh, you know, baseball, you got to get to games as Chris mentioned, whether it's high school, college, uh, minor leagues, it's important to get out to games and uh, enjoy it in person. So now that we can, we should, 
And I think it's, uh, it's uh, beneficial to all of us and we can all learn to love the great game of baseball a little bit more. That's enough for me, guys. Thank you again, Chris Alba. Guys, I will be back on Tuesday ra- uh, recapping the weekend of sports and other things going on. But until then, guys, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or rounded third base, get home safe. Thank you.